Hey, welcome to the Remo Tlale Life and Faith Podcast, a long-form podcast designed to help you thrive in your life as well as in your faith. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. It's always a privilege to know that uh, people take time out of their days uh, to listen, whether you are doing something while you listen or whether you're just sitting and listening. Uh, either way, it's a real honor to be able to be in your, your ears or on your phone or wherever it is you're listening from. So thank you for tuning in. And um, today I have the, the privilege of having a great guest on the podcast, uh, a gentleman that I'm, I'm getting to know a little bit better. Uh, his name is Jake Graham, and I'll let him introduce himself here in a little bit. Uh, but Jake, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Rima. So I'm excited to be on, man. Yeah, man, let's go. Uh, Jake, can you give us a bit of a brief uh, background? Who, who is Jake Graham in, a, in like a few sentences, and then we'll dive into your story. Cool. Yeah, in a few sentences, Jake Graham is, uh, is a disciple of Jesus, first of all, above everything. Um, currently, man, I'm 26 years old. I graduated a few years ago, got a degree in workplace leadership and human behavior. But my passion has always been for ministry. My passion has always been for growing the kingdom. And uh, that's what I try to do um, with my life. Amen. I dig that. That's <laughs> nice. Uh, a very brief intro, but a very helpful intro. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's go all the way back. So 26 years old, meaning you were born in 1998. 96. 96. Oh, my maths is off. Yeah. Terrible. Goodness. Okay. Boy, so ni- 96. Take, take us back to who was Jake Graham, man. Give us a, give us a picture of the early years. Where, where did you grow up? Where were you born? That kind of thing. Yeah, it was July 3rd, 1996. And so that's one day before independence for the U S mm-hmm. um, cause I was born and raised in the U S the majority of my life. And uh, so it was always cool having a birthday, knowing that uh, the next day people were going to celebrate. I, you know, I used to think that they were celebrating me, uh, you know, <laughs> but it turns out, no, it's, there it was something a lot bigger than me that they were, they were celebrating, which was uh, July 4th. Um, yeah. So I, I grew up to man, wonderful parents. I honestly, I honestly do think like I hit the, I hit the parent lottery, uh, especially the more and more I hear about uh, people's lives and uh, which is a blessing because we cannot control the you know cards we were given in that sense mm. so uh, I, I feel very grateful for the family that I have uh, both my parents are our disciples they they decided to follow Jesus when my two older sisters were like one and two years old so I was raised in a family that was uh, that went to church all the time but also uh, loved God consistently decided to make him Lord of their lives so that was an incredible example for me growing up and uh, I was, yeah, for me, I was not a troubled child. I was a good kid, a little, uh, a little good boy, you know. I wasn't the guy to get into trouble and such. And so, but now one, that's, that's something you have to work through when you decide to be a disciple because you think that you're not as bad as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you, you know, um, things like that you have, to, you have to work through when you're growing up. But, uh, man, I played a bunch of sports. I love a bunch of sports. Um, still to this day, my favorite sport to watch is UFC. Okay. And uh, so I always try to have UFC parties because I, I love I love watching the UFC. And um, I grew up in Tennessee in the southeast, which, okay. dude, it's phenomenally beautiful. Mm. It's the place of southern hospitality. It's a place where religion was born, basically. You know, they call it the Bible <laughs> Belt sure. in the U.S., but they, they call Tennessee specifically the buckle of the Bible Belt, which oh, means it like it's, it's the center of the Bible Belt. Yeah. And so I grew up in insanely religious um, area which you know it comes with its uh, 
uh, blessings and curses, if, if you can say that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became a disciple when I was 18 years old and then went to college and, you know, moved here. I'm sure we'll get to all that, but it's a little bit of where I come from. Nice. Very cool. Okay. So if, so if I have it correct, you are the third child in your family? Yeah. Yeah. I have two older sisters and then one younger sister. Okay. So, so the only so- boy, and honestly, dude, I, I wouldn't want a brother. I enjoy having three sisters and having a... Having the brother just be me, you know. Okay, all right. Well, why is that? Do you feel like you guys would uh, would would have some? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Would you guys have some bus stops if you had a brother? Maybe. I mean, I I see the relationships that brothers have, and usually there's things they fight over, such yeah. as who can play video games. Exactly. You know, it's, it's my turn to get on the PlayStation. Yep. And, uh, and things like that but there was no one else that wanted to be on the playstation no one else that <laughs> wanted to be on the computer and Dude. so it was just me i didn't have to fight fight for those things and uh yeah. so that's i mean that was fun i'm sure i would enjoy having a brother obviously if he was my sibling but uh, yeah no in that sense but and also so many people growing up i don't know if this is going to be true but so many people growing up were like jake you're going to make a great husband because you have three sisters and i was like okay maybe that's the case where i'm surrounded by you know um women my whole life and having three yeah. sisters and so i don't know they say it's going to make me a great husband so i'll, I'll let you know when okay. that day comes hey let's go we'll we have to have you back on to see if the anecdotal <laughs> research is correct or not <laughs> yeah, maybe have your wife on <laughs> maybe you can come on and be like yeah i'm a great husband and she's like no yeah yeah <laughs> anyway we won't we won't go too far down the road on, on that one okay <laughs> And, uh, and give me a little bit of like Tennessee, which part of Tennessee, what, what was kind of cool to do in Tennessee? Uh, what did you grow up? What was kind of fun activities you did as a kid growing up? Yeah, in, in, we moved to a city called Knoxville, Knoxville, Tennessee, when I was, I think, around 10 years old. So before that, I had lived in a couple of different places. But essentially, from like 10 years old to 24, 25 years old, I lived in uh knoxville so that's essentially the the bulk of of me growing up Mm -hmm. and it's 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 like a hidden gem in tennessee it's the fourth biggest city in tennessee but it's not very big i think the greater area metropolitan and um and the outskirts are maybe eight hundred thousand people okay so it uh it's small enough to where it's not crowded there's only traffic for maybe 45 minutes a day or an hour a day. So you don't have to deal with the, the Johannesburg traffic or Los Angeles traffic or Atlanta traffic or any Nashville traffic. No big city traffic is there. Yeah. Um, but it has all the things you would want in a big city. It's got a downtown area, um, but it feels more homey and, and family oriented. And, uh, but you're also, you're so close to so many different uh, cool things. You're about an hour away from the Smoky Mountains which is one of the biggest tourist attractions in the United States. Uh, you're three hours away from Nashville, which is the country capital of the world. You know, we're country music. Every big country star wants to go to Nashville. Yeah. You're two and a half hours away from Atlanta, which is, uh, you know, a place. There's so, Atlanta's so diverse in, 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 uh, in what it offers you. So you're only two and a half hours away from there. You're just three hours away from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is another big city. So you're, you're close to all these massive cities where you can go and experience uh, many different things, the mountains, you know, you're so close to all these different things, but you're kind of isolated. And yeah. it's, a, it's a small little place that's near uh, so many different attractions and bigger cities. And so it's like a, it's like a perfect mix where you can enjoy the bigger city stuff without the big city people, if that makes sense. So, sure. man, it was, a, it was a phenomenal place to grow up. 
And I still think it's a, a little hidden gem, even though more and more people are moving in, which is kind of making it become a big city, which, you know, I, I guess not, it happened. Not so hidden, not so hidden gem anymore. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, and, and you said you were a good, you were a good kid. Can you define what a good kid is? Like when you think of yourself as a good, as a good kid, what does that mean? Yeah. To, to a degree, like that's how it would be said. Ultimately there's, there's no kid that's, you know, authentically better than another. If you look at it from, uh, if we're all trying to become image bearers of Jesus again, there's no, you know, one kid that's better than another in that sense. But back then, I would be looked at as the good kid. Where um, not necessarily teach what they call teacher's pet, you know, teacher's favorite student. But I was a front row kid. I'd always want to sit in the front row and be friends with the the teacher. I, uh, dude, I never hung out with the crowds that uh, um, would, you know, do bad things, do drugs, curse, make fun of people, you know. The, the kids that were usually more popular got into those things. Mm. And uh, I stayed away from them. One, because maybe I was just shy. I didn't really want to interact with a lot of people. I, I felt uncomfortable with stepping out of, um, you know, like talking to another person was uncomfortable for me to do. So I was mm. like, I was sticking to myself. And then so you, when you stick to yourself, you really don't get in a lot of trouble. You, yeah. don't, you don't end up hanging out with bad kids. You don't end up doing, uh, doing those things. But uh, also being raised in a religious home. Uh, we would have conversations at the lunch table and I was, I was always the Christian kid, you know, the, the one, if we had a religious conversation would be the one to defend Jesus or, or whatnot. And so it was, uh, it was just, yeah, I would be looked at as the good kid. And I was the good kid. The, when we would have, what is it? Parent teacher meetings where the parents would be able to meet the teachers and stuff. They'd always be like, Oh, Jake's the sweetest kid. He doesn't say much, but you know, he's, he's so nice. Yeah, and so yeah, that's that's what I mean by good kid. My my life in terms of uh, yeah, being young and getting into um, the bad crowds was non-existent. Got you. Okay. And so, what then draws you to a relationship with Christ at eighteen? Yeah, what what draws me to a relationship with Christ? I I share this often when I when I talk about this, but I remember when I was around twelve or thirteen years old. My parents would um, have me start mowing the grass, you know, because we had we didn't have a big yard, but we had one that was where you had to get the mower out and, and cut the grass every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're when you're mowing the grass, the engine is loud. Uh, and so if you're you can talk to yourself and no one hears you. So I would talk. I would feel comfortable, like talking to myself when I'm mowing because no one could hear it. And what I would end up doing, and I don't know why, is I would preach sermons to myself. Oh, like, nice. Yeah, and I don't know where this passion came from. I don't know where this this yeah the uh, the desire to to do those things. But I would talk about like you know, man, we need to go to the prisons and start prison Bible talks, and we need to give to the poor, and we need you know not not many of my sermons back then would come from scripture because I didn't know too much about scripture. But I w- it would just be a place of passion where I was like, come on, guys, you know, I read the Bible and it seems like we're there's there's more we can do. You know, we need to be out there you know i would imagine myself standing in front of huge crowds and just like saying these things and yeah. and uh, so it was some something in there was, was working at a young age some some desire some passion and so uh but that never translated into following jesus okay. you know, that never translated into i need to change myself yeah. you know i need to repent and i need to understand the gospel mm-hmm. and i need to make a decision to follow jesus 
like none of that passion and desire to preach or, uh, you know, uh, think about how we can change the world. None of that translated into becoming a disciple of Jesus. Sure. And uh, throughout those years, I saw my oldest sister, Charlie, become a disciple. I saw my oldest sister, Hannah, become a disciple. Um, my parents were obviously still disciples. So I saw these things happen. And um, I remember at one point we were at a, it was, I think it was 2013. We were at a Southeast conference. So it was all the churches in Southeast come together for a big conference. And there's no real logical, uh, I don't think there's much of a logical sense to this, but something just clicked that weekend where someone was talking about, I think it was Easter weekend, the bones of Jesus no longer being there. And it just clicked. I was like, man, if this is real, then there's some serious consequences that it has in my life. Sure. Like I can't just play around with, um, you know, talking to my friends about how Jesus is, is the real God or whatever it may be, or preaching sermons to myself. Like if Jesus is, Actually, Lord, there's some consequences in my life that I need to face. Yeah. And so I was like, dude, I need to, I need to study the Bible. And that was you know, the, the, the phrase that, that we're common with, because that's, that's kind of what happens in our group of churches is you study the Bible with someone mm-hmm. and teach them the gospel. So that's what came to my mind is, man, I need to study the Bible. But, uh, but I was afraid. I was afraid of asking for help. Sure. That, was, uh, uh, that seemed like too big of a deal for me to go up to someone and say, hey, can you study the Bible with me? So I secretly held this desire for three months, you know, didn't tell anybody. But what I would do is I would, I would practice in my room. I would be saying to myself, hey, could, could you study the Bible with me? You know, I pretend I was telling it to someone or, hey, dad, I, I kind of want to study the Bible. You know, I practice saying it because I was so afraid. But then once I actually get in front of that person or my dad, I, I couldn't. I just freeze. Yeah. And uh, but three months later, my my church leader took me out for just to get some smoothies or something. And he was he was asking me, you know, if I wanted to do some character studies or such. And then I was like, no, I, I really don't. I want to actually study the Bible. I want to actually be a disciple. I don't want to just learn about you know, how cool Noah was or how cool David was. I want to I want to authentically um, receive the gospel here. And so then, yeah, I studied the Bible and was like, man, I need to. I need to change. It took a month and a half because I was like, dude, I'm ready for this. This is exactly what I want. This is, this is what I need. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was, that was at 18 years old and I became a disciple. It was August 21st, um, 2013. Dude, very cool. And were you in, is that your final year of high school or your first, it was at the beginning of your first year of your freshman year of college? That was my final year of high school, the beginning of my final year of high school. Nice. Very, very cool, dude. That that's so cool that you like, it just clicked, you know. I, I, I don't know. It's like, I know for me that wasn't the case. I, I need a lot of work, um, but it's also it's incredible when I hear people just say, "No, well, I put two and two together, and and it just made sense in my mind." And and what was the fear around asking someone for help? What what was kind of holding you back there? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Uh, I think. One of the things when you grow up as, I was going to say an only child, but that's not true. The only boy in the family, you end up doing a lot of things by yourself okay. and you end up not asking for a lot of help. Okay. Uh, you become independent in the things you do. Like if I wanted to go outside and, and play any level of sport, I would have to play with myself. 
So I play soccer by myself. You know, how do you do that? Sure. You know, play baseball by myself. How do you do that? So you just start figuring things out. You start, uh, and then I think that builds an identity of, there's not a lot of things I need to ask for. I don't need to ask my brother if he wants to come play soccer with me because I don't know how to do it if, unless he's there. You know, it's like, no, if I wanted to play soccer, I'll figure out a way to do it because it's just by myself. Yeah. And I think naturally I'm prideful anyway. I don't want to ask for help. Uh, I think that definitely runs in the family on my, I don't everyone's family, you see what I'm saying? But uh, like, especially my dad and my grandfather and my, my uncle, we're all the same. We, we don't want to ask for help. We want to do things by ourselves, extremely stubborn. And so when it came to that slight level of emotional vulnerability, like, hey, I, I need help in something spiritual. Yeah. Like that was, that was something that maybe I hadn't really done before. So my first reaction was hesitation. Gotcha. Okay. And so I think that's where, yeah, that's where it came from was, uh, I'm not used to this. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Yeah. That makes total sense. That makes absolutely total sense. Okay. And, and as you study the Bible, what was kind of the big, what was the big take, like the big, was there a big, was there a big aha? Or was it just kind of, yeah, yeah, I got, I got that. I get that. I got that. You know, okay, cool. I'm, I'm in. Yeah, there definitely was a, a big moment, I think, that uh, that pushed pushed the rest. And it was when we, we went over discipleship and Christianity, what it means to follow Jesus. Mm. Because growing up in a home where the people in that home are doing that, they are disciples, they've, they've committed their lives to make Jesus Lord, you grow up thinking that you're a Christian. Because how could you not be? Exactly. You know, I mean, I don't do drugs and party and you know all the different things that my friends in high school would do and hang out with, with girls and gossip and, you know, like that wasn't me. And I went to church. Mm. So how could I not be a Christian, right? Like, I believe that God exists. I, as much as I thought I did, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. So you just organically think you're a Christian by, uh, by osmosis, in a sense. <laughs> and when, when you do, when you do, when someone for kind of the first time teaches you what it means to be a disciple and then you realize that that's not you and then you realize you're not a Christian. I remember when they, when they, they exposed that from the scriptures, I felt like the, the floor just disappeared from my feet sure. because that's kind of where I held my identity. Like I was, I'm a Christian, but now I want to get into the disciple ring. Once they eliminated, once they eliminated the fact that I wasn't even a Christian, it was like where I literally I felt like I was falling. And I'm like, where am I supposed? Where am I supposed to have my feet to support me if I'm not a Christian? And then so you know, at that moment, I was like, dude, I I will do anything I need to to become a disciple. How however Jesus wants me to follow him is how I will follow him. Yeah, because I don't want to do anything else or be anything else than a christian a follower of jesus mm. and so as they were teaching me how to actually do that those are some things that got exposed and were um yeah i think those moments that were like okay this is really what i want now now that i know that yeah yeah it's it's powerful stuff and i know you know just for, for those listening i know not everybody who listens to this podcast is in our family of churches so language like study the bible like you said it's kind of in our family of churches, but I also know this idea of Christian and disciple being the same thing. Uh, not not everyone's teaching or feels the same way on that, and so it is. It's, mm. It is. It can be 
uh, certainly I've sat with a number of people where I think they would express it the same way that, man, it was like everything I knew and understood and everything I based myself on uh, was now being taken out because like you say, it was like, I was, I wanted to shift gears from Christian to disciple, not realizing, no, no, it's one and the same, uh, which is a, which is a massive, massive, massive difference there. Um, but, but, you know, and I always, you know, try to say this on the, not always, but as when I can, I try to say it on the podcast that this, the hope is to, to help people. This is not a condemnational, uh, we're not mm-hmm. talking at you. So please, if you're feeling uncomfortable or whatever, hit me up, we can chat. Uh, but that's not the, the goal of this. This is just Jake's story. Um, but yeah, Jake's okay. So, so now you're 18 and you make the decision. All right, I'm all in. I want to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you get baptized, you know, the, the whole deal. Uh, and then what? Yeah, and then what? So high school, last year of high school, you're uh, I'm a disciple there. And looking into going into college, um, I, I didn't want to go to college because all I wanted to do was do ministry. Sure. Yeah, so, sorry, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, mm-hmm. before, before we get to college, can, can we talk about that year in high school? Because there are some people who listen to this who are in high school or who are working with people who are in high school. Um, yeah. And obviously, uh, you know, I feel like, college or, or campus university uh you know you've got your independence you, you can kind of do whatever you want mm. if, you, if you want to be a christian sure go ahead go do that uh, but high school feels different uh, and mm. from a little bit of work that i've done with high school students it seems to be that it's true that not just doesn't just feel different but it seems to be very different so how mm-hmm. is that experience for you yeah i think i i like naturally skipped over it because i think it was overall uneventful at least in in my life Okay. And maybe one of the reasons is there was nobody else um, from my church that was there. So it wasn't as if, you know, there could be some cool things like, hey, let's have a let's have a Bible discussion. Or why don't we sit together and start spiritual conversations with our friends? You know, when you have another person you feel like you can you can work with in high school, there might be some cool things you could do. Um, But also most of my middle school and high school life just personally was uneventful. Because there wasn't a lot of people I hung out with outside of school. So it wasn't as if now that I became a disciple, I'm still hanging out with these friends outside of school. And then the experience was different because they maybe wanted to do things that I didn't want to get into. Or maybe I wanted to pull them into church and they didn't want to. Or maybe they did. So, yeah, there wasn't many people in high school that I hung out with outside of school. And there wasn't people from the church that were in my high school. So there wasn't much like spiritual interaction with others in high school. And, uh, and you know, that's, there always could have been, I could have been super zealous and invited all my friends to church and things like that. I, I don't think I did. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because I was a young disciple. Maybe it's just because I didn't feel like I could, maybe it was because I was afraid. I don't exactly remember, but I think spiritually and personally, the last year of high school was mostly uneventful, I would say. Cool. I appreciate I appreciate you sharing. Uh, thanks for being being real about that. Uh, okay, so then you said you didn't you didn't want to go to college. Uh, we'll go back to, to that piece. You didn't want to go to college because you just wanted to do ministry, uh, but you did go to college. So how did that work out? Yeah, I did. I did go to college, and I'm I'm glad I did. And my my idea was one. I uh, at this point I had a big wrestle with was I gonna do was I going to join the ministry or was I going to join the military? because from middle school up until high school, that was my, that was my thought was I was going to join the military. 
I was going to train to become a pararescue officer, which is those guys that uh, that are in the helicopters carrying the big guns and they jump down to to save people if they're injured and such. And so that was like that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, so ministry and military would be a big a big difference, you know. And <laughs> I think so yeah. Yeah, not only that, but I kind of had to decide a direction because if I wanted to do the military, I was going to go to college um, in a program that would allow me to do boot camp in the summer and then study in the semester and then things like that. So if I wanted to do ministry, I'd have to make a decision quick to not take that collegiate path. And so, yeah, I prayed a ton and thought about it a ton. And in the end, I was like, I think... Yeah, I, th- I think I'm ministry is for sure what I would want to do. And if I did the military thing, it might only last a few years. Sure. And what's the point of doing that if it lasts a few years? And so then I was full, full focus in, 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 in uh, ministry. And, uh, and then college seemed like something that got in the way of ministry. Okay. Why would I go to university when all I want to do is teach people the gospel and, and, you know, and share my faith and lead different, you know, um, different things in church. Why would I, why would I waste my time in college? And I never wanted to get into debt. That seemed like a very silly idea. So my, my 17, 18 year old brain, I'm thinking, why would I go to university that wastes my time? And why would I get an extreme, um, extreme amount of debt to do something that I don't even want to do? So it didn't make sense to me. So I talked to lots of people. And every one of them said, go to college, get a degree. Yeah. And I didn't understand it because my, my little phrase was, why would I spend two years in, in college when I could spend two years with the Holy Spirit? Hey, let's go. <laughs> obviously, you know, nice it, doesn't mean Spirit, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit disappears from my body if I go to college. But, you know, I was like, if I could just be on the field where the Holy Spirit and I are working things out, and that's what I do all the time, that would be great. But uh, I eventually ended up going to university the first two years of actually free. Um, by the, yeah, just the, the virtue of some cool things that the state of Tennessee had. Two years, uh, you had to sign up for a, a four-year university to then finish your last two years. Okay. And I didn't want to do that. I was Because I was like, well, this college was free. So now I have to actually pay for college. And again, it was the whole wrestle of how am I going to do university when I really just want to do ministry? Mm. And, uh, but I think my dad was able to find a program to where I went to school one day a week. I was still a full-time student so I could work 40 hours a week. And so like the last two years of college, I I was a full-time student. I had a full-time job working 40 hours a week and, uh, and I was leading stuff in ministry. So it was a very hectic last two years, but, uh, but now I'm on the other side of it. I have a college degree. And I still find myself doing ministry. So, <laughs> so it all worked out. I finished. Yeah, it all worked out. And and in retrospect, like I think you may have mentioned it already, but but worth worth the the hassle and the rigmarole of going through the college, uh, you know, situation. Or would you would you advise the next person? Yeah, ditch it straight off the high school, go and do ministry. Yeah. So this this is getting into some uh, some cool things here. So. I think we've, we've not you and I in terms of we, but uh, especially in the U.S., the U.S. has built this idea that you can't do anything unless you get a college degree. Mm -hmm. 
And I think slowly that is uh, that is disappearing, which I think I'm a fan of. I think uh, that idea came, I don't know, I'm not a historian in this in this aspect, but I think like the Industrial Revolution had, had a lot to do with it, where, where you know, uh, lots of things are happening and being built and you need to be trained in some in some trade or some business in order to enter into that but I think the world looks a little different now than the beginning of the industrial revolution. There's yeah. many different ways somebody can make money, support themselves. Uh, there's many different ways you can go go after your either dream or passion or talent without a college degree. But I think the world is changing a little bit. Uh, I don't think the older generation will like to hear that. But I think in the future, the people that get a college degree, uh, at least in the way that it's built now, is going to be less and less. So I think this is a rare position, but I'm a proponent of if you don't want to get a degree and you have another idea on what you're going to do in life, and it has just as much of a, a plan and, and stability to it, like, go for it. That's what I think. Now, I think that is an unpopular opinion. Um, however, if your desire is just to do ministry, um, then I think it would be beneficial to have a degree of some sort or a trade of some sort or a skill of some sort. Because technically, ministry is just an opportunity yeah. in terms of full-time ministry. Uh, because that just means you have to have a church that employs you to spend your 40 hours a week um, doing ministry work. So that is just an opportunity. you know. Um, so I think it would be beneficial to have something else as well uh, in, in your pocket to take care of yourself, your family, if it may be. But uh, in terms of the general sense of university, uh, if you have another idea, that's fine. <laughs> sure. That's a cool way to put it. Ministry is just an opportunity. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in my back pocket because it does feel like, and, and, and this is maybe just from a South African context, it does feel like in a lot of spaces, the minister is seen as, oh, he couldn't do anything else. So the poor thing did ministry. Right. And, 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 and I've, I've, I don't know if you've heard that sentiment, but I've certainly heard that sentiment, and, and particularly in South Africa, being a, a black male uh, and young. Mm -hmm. It's like, you, like the, the number of times, particularly older people, I think my peers are like, yeah, whatever, you're doing ministry, cool. Uh, but older people are like, you, you can't be a ministry leader. What are you talking about? Like, you're young. And then, mm -hmm. fortunately, now I'm married with a kid. So now I at least sound old. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, he's got a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's good. He's fine now. Um, yeah. But there's definitely that, that, kind, of, that kind of idea. Um, and so, okay, anyway, that's off on a tangent. Uh, I, I appreciate, firstly, I appreciate your um, hot take there on, on college degrees and, and, and wanting to do something else. Um, but talk to me a little bit about what your degree entailed. Because you said it was if I'm not mistaken, leadership mm -hmm. and, yeah, and it something was, about humans. I can't remember this, the last part of the humans piece. Yeah, it was workplace leadership and human behavior. Goodness gracious. Okay. And uh, if I were to give you, if, if that wasn't confusing enough, if I were to give you the full name of my degree, it would be a Bachelor of Science in Interdisciplinary Studies with a focus on workplace leadership and human behavior. So that's, yeah, exactly. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a question that I cannot answer. Really? Because I don't even know what it means. And the way I got my degree came together really uniquely, where after I finished my first two years of university, I had to find a four-year college where I could finish my last two years. Mm -hmm. And I told my dad, I was like, I am not going to go to college if I need to get into debt. 
Like that doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Because I had I had zero plan of using my degree in my career. Yeah. Now, if you're someone who has an idea on what they want to do in their career and you need to take debt to be trained in that manner, that makes sense. But why would I take debt to be trained in a manner that I don't even plan on using? Mm. And uh, somehow my dad was able to find a program where I could, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, it was one day a week. I could work full time. So I had the ability to pay off my loans as I was getting them. Yeah. And uh but what that what that meant was there was only like two choices of a degree I could get. And one was something about art, I think. Okay. And then one was the human behavior and workplace leadership. And I'm like, well, the other one, workplace leadership and stuff sounds very general, but it yeah. sounds like I could get a job anywhere, you know, with people. Yeah. yeah. And so let me let me do that. And so I didn't choose, I really didn't choose the degree. It just kind of was the only one available. And so that's just, that's just what I got. And uh, so yeah, there, there wasn't any big specific training on this and that and the other. It was a very general degree. My classes were quite funny. So like, I remember one of my classes was called the search for greatness. Okay. Like, how is that a university class? The search for greatness. Sure. So it's kind of a weird degree. And I don't exactly know what it means. I don't exactly know where it's going to take me, but uh, but that's where we find ourselves. Great. Yeah, my brain is is trying to figure out how to unpack that, but I'm like, no, let's just pocket and move on. There's, there's no need to try and understand to try and understand yeah. that. Okay, so talk to me about your road to ministry then. How does that kind of weave its way through as you're kind of uh, you know getting this degree? Uh, how did it work out? For sure, man. So. Once I graduated university, I, I immediately was, was asked if I could lead the youth and family and singles ministry uh, in the Knoxville church, which isn't that big of a deal because we had maybe three or four singles and we had maybe three or four youth and family. So it's small little ministries, but they wanted somebody to kind of step in and see what could be built from it. Mm-hmm. And so it was on like an intern basis. So I did that for, I think, half a year or so. And then at, at that time, our campus ministry couple was leave. They were moving away. Uh, they'd been there for three years. They were moving out. And uh, so they needed a, another person to step into campus. So they hired me on a, on a part-time basis to lead the campus ministry. And so I, I cut my work hours down significantly so that I could spend the majority of my time doing, doing the campus work. And so I did that for about a year. And the, the, the latter part of that was during COVID in, 20, in 2020. Okay. I think I finished in like March of 2020. And around that time, I was, I was thinking about moving to South Africa uh, in 2019. Actually, it was when I was thinking about it. But I knew I had my, I had my ministry work in Knoxville that I needed to, uh, to do to finish. I was, I was signed on to be there for at least a year. Okay. And so, so I, was, I kind of went from youth and family a little bit of single stuff and then went to campus ministry, which is a, a bigger role, a bigger ministry, uh, more responsibilities. And then in the, in the, in the meantime of that, I was investigating what it would look like to move to South Africa. And as I did ministry positions or responsibilities, I would say, were, were put on my plate. Hey, you can look after the campus here. Um, I got signed up for school of missions, which I didn't even know what it was when they signed me up for it. I actually, I legitimately 
thought it was a conference, like a weekend conference. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll go to this conference. And then I realized it's a three-year training program to yeah. raise up future leaders in ministry yeah. and then send them out to the mission field. I was like, I mean, that sounds cool as well. I'm down for that three-year program. But it was just funny. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know what it was when they when they signed me up. And so yeah. now I find myself in Johannesburg, uh, helping out with a campus ministry and uh, and being trained in the school of missions to, you know, be be trained on how to be sent out to some other new place and start a ministry there. And so that's that's where I find myself now. But uh, ever since, yeah, ever since right getting out of, of college, I've been in some ministry opportunity at some point. Very cool. Very cool. And what was the job you were doing when you were working part-time in Knoxville? So I got a, I've only had one other job in my life, I guess, outside of like ministry stuff, yeah. which includes Swamp, which includes, you know, uh, the church as well. But uh, in high school, I got my first job working at Wendy's, which is a fast food restaurant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked there for seven and a half years. And oh, wow. that... Yeah, that fast food restaurant, which, you know, it doesn't pay anything glorious. And that paid for two of my cars that I was able to get throughout, throughout those, those years. It paid for many different international trips around the world with, uh, with our youth camp, Camp Swamp. That paid for um, my, my expenses that it took to move to South Africa. So that, it paid for a lot of things. But that's what I did when I was, uh, you know leading the different ministries in, in Knoxville. The other, the other job I had was cooking food and cleaning dishes and such. Hey, let's go. Well, shout out to Wendy's. Thank you, Jake. Jake yeah, Graham, uh, ambassador of, of, the Wendy's, <laughs> of the Wendy's franchise. Okay, that's, that, that's so crazy. Okay, so and I'm just trying to like make sense of things. I really want to talk about the financial piece because that seems to keep coming up. Sure. Like for someone to work at a fast food joint and do as much as you just mentioned, that that I think is uh, should not be underestimated. Um, mm -hmm. But I but I want to kind of wrap up uh, some of this ministry this ministry conversation. So in all of this ministry stuff, is it what you pictured? That thirteen year old boy who was mowing the lawn preaching is that is that is it true that that is what ministry is now? Fast forward, you know, 10, 12 years. Yeah, uh, in a sense, yes, and in many senses, no. Okay. I, I think just a couple of weeks ago, this thought came to my mind of, I am becoming the person that my 12-year-old preached about. Okay. Like, I'm just now starting to see all that passion, all that desire, all those ideas are now, I'm in a position now where I can put those things into practice. Mm. I was like, that is really cool. That is really, really cool. And uh, obviously that 12, 13 year old self didn't know what ministry was. He just wanted to go to prisons and serve people and sell all his clothes and give it to the poor and, uh, and do radical things and change the world. And so there was really no specific to it, but I still carry that same passion and desire. And now I'm just in a position of where I can execute. Yeah. So those things where it was like, sell your clothes and give it to the poor or go to prisons and things. I'm in a position where if I wanted to do that, I can execute that now. And so it's, it's maybe not necessarily what I thought of. There's definitely things in ministry where you're like, why do I have to do this? But then there's a lot of things in, in, in ministry where you're like, I'm, I'm just given the space and, and, uh, and, and the position to where I can put a lot of passion, desire, and creativity 
uh, and execute that and maybe do some pretty cool things for the community. Sure. I'd really love to know what are the things where you're like, why do I have to do that? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's admin stuff in, in any, any uh, position you're, you're in where sure. you're like, why, why do I have to fill out this paper to, to do what? <laughs> like, why is, why is the, you know, how does it, why does the budget work on this basis when it just makes sense if it worked this way or, uh, sure. you know, or maybe it's a person that you like really don't want to hang out with, but they're in your ministry and you have to be like Jesus. And, you know, maybe that person is there to teach you how to love. Yeah. But on the surface, you're like, they're just annoying. Sure. Um, so yeah, there, there's things in, there's things in any, any position people wouldn't like. So that, that just comes with it. Yeah. Now, the, the reason I ask, and I appreciate you, you being honest, is, uh, is again, I'm a big believer in debunking some of the myths. And some of the myths around ministers is like, you guys have it all together. I mean, it's, you mm-hmm. know, it's Jesus, the apostles, and then anybody who's done full-time ministry. And I'm like, man, if, if only you knew <laughs> the amount of, of just incredible character and gut work that has to be done and the amount of just denial mm-hmm. of self. Because uh, I have the same feeling about anything admin uh, and I'll be uh, full disclosure. The other day, I was, Pelle and I went on a date and I said, you know, I said, baby, you know what I need in life? And she's like, yeah, what, what do you need? I, like, I need a secretary or like a, an assistant. Mm. And she's like, you, for what? <laughs> like, like, you don't do nearly enough to, to warrant that. And I, and, and I agree with that. I don't. Like, there's just those small, like niggling things that I'm like, man, if someone else did that, that would make my life a whole lot easier. Um, and my belief, my big belief is like, call a guy. It's about job creation. So don't, don't fix your own plumbing, man. Call a guy. It just help create jobs in the world. You know, so mm-hmm. like, this, this might be an option. So I, I resonate with that. And I appreciate you, uh, you, sharing, you sharing that, that very honestly. Um, but but let's, let's flip the coin a little bit then. And, and what are some things that you really love about ministry? What are some great things that you feel like, man, you know, if someone is questioning, should I, shouldn't I, that you would be like, yo, this is one of the things that makes it so worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, this is, this is something, uh, what I'm about to say is something I, I, I'm thinking about, but also want help on is, uh, is in, in our group of churches, we've had this, this term called in ministry. Mm. And part of me wants to change that mm. because it gives this idea that you have ministry or you have career which we know biblically in no sense is correct. It's the kingdom is a community aspect where sure, there are people that are responsible for the ministry of prayer and the word and, you know, the ministry of tables and things like that. So there are different things that take up your time, but I don't like the idea of someone says they're in ministry because it kind of retroactively gives the idea that the other person is not in ministry, Yes, which isn't true. And so I want to come up, I, ha- I haven't yet, but I want to come up with a term that can describe somebody that's paid by the church full-time to, you know, um, be responsible for the ministry. I want to come up with a better term for that. So it okay. doesn't give people the idea that I'm either in ministry or not in ministry. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, I like that. Uh, caveat. To answer your question. Yeah. So what I love about ministry is I authentically believe that the kingdom of God is the greatest place to live. Mm. It may not be the easiest place to live, but it is if we as a collective community strive to live out the kingdom under the authority of Jesus, it would be the place of the most unity, the most equity, the most uh, hospitality, the most uh, 
servitude, it would be the place where the most money is given and the most money is received in terms of people that have uh, wealth and opportunity, giving it up for people that don't have wealth and opportunity. So it, it would be the best place to ever live. And that's what I enjoy about ministry is one, being able to be there, but also living a life where I'm constantly challenged on the ways that I'm not living that way. Um, where the kingdom looks at me and says, Jake, you're not giving, or the kingdom looks at me and says, Jake, you're not loving. And so I'm constantly in a position where I'm challenged by the greatest place to ever live and the greatest king to ever reign. But I also get the opportunity to attempt to show that to other people and bring them into the space, not because I'm any better than them, but just because life has afforded me the opportunity of knowing this. And I want to show them the door if they ever want to live in the kingdom, which I think is the greatest place to ever be. Come on. I like that. Yeah, that, that's, dude, that's awesome. Uh, it, just even the whole idea of like the kingdom and the king have a way of being that, that they are calling out of me. Uh, that is so, uh, I'm sure in a lot of ways, not, not who you are naturally, um, but it's, it's so worthwhile uh, in being able to be a part of it. So uh, that is, yeah, that's awesome. And, and I hope, I hope that, you come up with a term because I know some people um, the way that we often speak here is, is a paid paid ministry, meaning paid by the church in ministry mm-hmm. and then in ministry, but paid by EPSA or NetBank or whoever you work for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just try to say that, that your salary, where, where the salary comes from uh, doesn't mm-hmm. stop uh, the ministry. And, and we are, yeah. we we're certainly not where we uh, want to be on that. Cause I think there are still some people who uh I still like, hey Remo, so you're gonna you're gonna make that happen. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and and I and I've had to learn that because and, and maybe this is uh, confessions of for some other ministers as well, because I've definitely had these conversations. But I, I've had to learn that you're not the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and part of why people make you the hero of the story is because you hold on to that mantelpiece as 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 opposed to empowering them and saying, All right, thank you. You can you can take this over. So I appreciate that, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, we maybe you know have to put a blast out into the world. Hey, this is what we're now calling these two different roles, uh, right. be, because yeah. we do need to figure out a way that that that, that more uh, correctly uh, names what what the, the 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 structure kind of looks like. Right? So I appreciate that. Um, the finances piece, uh, and and I want to go there. I know obviously some of this might not translate to every. A corner uh, of the world but mm-hmm. but but principally i think everyone can agree in most countries that if you work at a fast food restaurant you shouldn't be able to pay for two cars pay for college go on trips and mm-hmm. you know still be a healthy human right like, like i'm not looking right. at a guy who's like got multiple diseases because he ate two minute noodles <laughs> for, you know for 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 meals every day for, for five years so um, so talk, talk to me a little bit about that. How did you think about finances? Also, the whole idea that you were like adamant you will not go into debt. Um, mm-hmm. is, there, is there something that comes, is that something that comes from your family? What, what, what's, what's the background for that? And, and then what are some key principles that have really helped you along the journey? Yeah, so dude, we could do a whole podcast on finances itself. It's uh, okay. finances and ministry would be the two things that I'm most passionate about, I would say, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the world. But uh, I, yeah, my dad was also, very passionate about finances and uh, my mom and him had a time in their life where they really took it seriously. And so I think I had the most open ears to that. And maybe that's just naturally. I don't, I don't exactly know. Yeah. Um, and also just to preface, like 
you, you can't really help the cards you were given. Um, some people could not live, uh, you know, the pieces wouldn't fall into place the way they fell into place for me. Sure. So it's not all on my shoulders. Some things come out of nowhere and you're like, this is what it is and I'll take it. Hmm. And so there's definitely blessings that come through that uh, other people have more of and other people have less of and, and things like that. But uh, I, I got a job in high school and I was very diligent with my money. I remember even the system that we used to clock in and out on would only allow us, because obviously you're scheduled your time. They would only allow us to clock in six minutes earlier, six minutes late. And so I did the math and I calculated if I clock in six minutes early and six minutes late, late every day or clock out six minutes late, I would get paid this much extra per month. And I knew that. And I was the only person in the entire company in, in, the, in the region I worked that would clock in six minutes early and clock out six minutes late. Because for other people, it wouldn't matter. What is, what is 12 minutes to me mm. if you get paid by the hour? But to me, I was like, why not? And so even little mindset, if I, if I can work 12 minutes extra a day and get paid a little bit more, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. And uh, I, I started investing since I was, when I was 18 years old, I put in a certain amount of money every month. Uh, I made sure I didn't spend anything other than what I needed. Uh, I, I worked even through the summers when I was in college and I had, I was a full-time student. I still worked three, sometimes four days a week. Mm. And uh, so I had to be very diligent. If I, if I had a class on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I knew that if I had homework on Monday, I'd have to get it done on Monday because I work Tuesday and I don't have any time to do it on Tuesday. Yeah. So any homework that's done on Monday, you have to get it done because otherwise you're going to put yourself behind. And, uh, and sometimes you did put yourself behind and then so you stay up late at night and you, you finish it. Mm -hmm. And so from working, I was able to get enough money for a car. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's just a combination of being very diligent with the money that you have. Yeah. Um, finding ways to not work the system in a bad way, but work the system in a way of, Hey, if I can, if someone calls out on a shift and I can take it, like I'll take it, even if that means I have four hours of sleep. Okay. That's fine. Um, and it's not a message of the, the grind lifestyle, you know, like grind it out and work yourself to the bone, <laughs> but it's just finding the financial opportunities, knowing how uh, you, knowing what you can control. I can control what I spend and I can control what's unnecessary in my spending. I can control how many times a week I eat out and how many times a week I just buy groceries. I remember for, for one year, I would spend only three us dollars a day on food, which is like more than half less than what normally people spend. Mm. And uh, so that cut my food expenses like in half. But I was doing that because that means I could uh, maybe go to a trip with, with the youth camp. Yeah. Um, so I was constantly, constantly fundraising, constantly working, um, constantly just being smart about my money, thinking about different ways to uh, save it, earn it, invest it. And uh, that helped me get to where I am. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's such a, it's such a cool thing that at, like from 18 or from high school, really, you've had this opportunity. Obviously, you've been in South Africa now for a little bit. Um, and, and that's not always necessarily easy for us. Like where, where I know a number of my friends in the States, 16 odd years old, you can walk into a fast food chain and start working. It just mm -hmm. looks and feels very different. I'm not saying it's not possible. I've been working since I was 16. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been weird, you know, like even for my peers to see me work 17. Um, sorry, not 16. 
uh, but my, for my peers to see me working, like, why are you working on a weekend at a, like, I was working at a CD sh- shop and then eventually at a video editing company and it's just like really random jobs. But I, I, well, for me, I was mm-hmm. like, yo, I, I wasn't trying to save or anything. I was just trying to live. I, I'm a, I'm a spender. Uh, that's in, in, yeah. in our marriage, probably is the saver. I'm, the, I'm definitely the spender. So I, I was just like, yo, I want money because I want to be able to use it. And, and, and yeah. I did do trips to the States and stuff like that as well, but, but certainly just to be able to enjoy uh, a little bit of a bougie lifestyle. Um, but that's, so that's super helpful. I think, I think there's so many people who uh, just to hear that uh, will, will encourage and inspire them uh, to look for ways, to look for the opportunities for where, where can I make a little bit extra? Where can I be more diligent about what it is I'm spending and what I'm spending on? Because uh, all of those things do matter. Uh, in the big in the big scheme of things um and it feels like the type of muscle that if you learn how to flex it young with like mm-hmm. only a couple of dollars or a couple of rand or a couple of pound on the plate uh that when you have maybe more than a couple of these things you can you, you know you know you have a strength to be able to to manage that a whole lot better uh, at least that's what i mm-hmm. found in my in my life for sure um and so okay so t- I want to speak about the South African experience, but before we get there, why, why the passion for finances? Like other than your parents somewhat being involved, is, is it something you've seen? Is it just something you feel like makes sense to you? Yeah, I think it came originally from, from uh, my dad and I having many, many conversations about finances, but where, like where the passion comes from is, I mean, one, you can, you can ask that question to anybody's passion. And at some point, they just don't know. It just was what it was. Yeah. And uh, so at some point, it just was what it was. But what I like about it now is um, I, I, find it so, I find it so cool that if I can take care of my finances, it opens up a lot of different opportunities for me. But also, it can open up a lot of opportunities for other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite Proverbs growing up um, when I was a young disciple was Proverbs 11.24 which says something to the degree of those who give gain even more mm-hmm. and those who withhold unduly come to poverty. So the idea that I can learn how to make a lot of money, but at the same time, learn how to be very giving with it is very cool to me. Cause uh, a lot of the finance world now is how can you make a lot of money? How can you take care of yourself? And it's all, it's very self-focused. Yeah. But I'm like, if I can, if I can hone this skill and this passion to be able to, collect money for myself and then give it away. That's like a, that's like a dual threat. I can make money and give it away. Yeah. Like that's, that just sounds really cool to me. And uh, one of my, one of my dreams since I was a young kid, and I've been praying this for a while. I said, God, make me a millionaire and I will give it all away. So one of my dreams in life is to give away a million U S dollars at some point um, as one, not collectively, but as like one gift. And oh. uh, so I, I want to, yeah, something I say too is I want I want to make a lot of money and help a lot of people. If yeah. I could be extremely rich and then become extremely poor because I give it all away, that would be a dream. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool, and that feels like such a kingdom way of looking at finances. Because I'm not going to mention any names, but there's many a person who, under the the banner of Christian uh, wealth and Christian like finance help, um, will say, no, 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 it's not a problem to to kind of build up bigger bonds 
uh, if you're going to give some of it away. Uh, but yet it seems mm-hmm. the narrative in the New Testament, particularly under Jesus' teachings, is give it all away, not, not some of it. it. It seems to be the pursuit is more poverty than it is, um, you know, riches with a, with a good uh, philanthropic uh, part of you. So it sounds, mm-hmm. sounds like that's kind of your heart as well, which is, which is really cool to, to hear. Uh, but I appreciate, uh, yeah, I appreciate, again, appreciate that even the idea that, you, you know, you can't really say where it comes from, but certainly what, it, what it's doing at the moment is, uh, is pretty epic. Um, but, but dude, what about South Africa, man? Tell me, tell me about your experience as a, as a uh, I would, I don't know if missionary is the correct term, but as a guy who's come down here to come and do ministry, uh, how are you finding it? What do, what do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? Um, yeah, let me in. Yeah, I got you, man. I was thinking... Uh, I mean, this thought has been kind of trailing through my year and a half here, but I think it kind of solidified into a sentence, I say, uh, like a couple of days ago. And uh, I think South Africa is in a very unique position to show the entire world what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's just because of its of its rich history. Like there's a lot of uh, with with colonization, racial tension, tribal tension. There's a lot that has happened in South Africa. And this is coming from, again, from the perspective of someone who only moved here a year and a half ago. Yeah. So I'm not an expert in you know, the history of your guys' country or the experiences of your guys' country. So these are more observational things. And uh, maybe they can be directed and corrected in different ways. But sure. there's so much uh, tension in the history of South Africa that has happened where there's, there's been divisions that have been created. And now I guess legally they've been ended. But, uh, but even physically, you can still see them. Yeah. Financially, you can feel them. Um, visibly, you can like experience them with different places you go to and have different, um, uh, different racial groups that you're like, okay, the history is still living today in this area. So that creates an incredible opportunity. And it's not just a black and white thing. You guys have a healthy uh, Middle Eastern, Asian, Indian, Asian population in South Africa as well, I've noticed. So there's so much that's gone on historically that I think it's South Africa is primed to be in a position to show people what the kingdom of God looks like. You know, what would it look like from a historically um, historically rich culture to give that up for the sake of someone they've oppressed in the past? Yeah. Like that, that's the kingdom. How cool would it be if, if we didn't just see white people in certain rich areas? You know, mm-hmm. what if people of privilege decided to give it away for those that don't have? Mm-hmm. What if what if unity uh, that w- division that was caused from history can be unified again mm-hmm. and not just send different groups of people out of the country, but find ways for them to work together? And so I've noticed in South Africa, like that's definitely a potential, a possibility that could happen. That would be very beautiful for the world to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because of the the history that's uh, of different things that have happened in in South Africa. So that excites me about being here. Um, I also think no matter where you go in the world to at the core, people are the same. Mm. They, uh, they want to go home to their families. They want to relax with their friends. They want to eat food and be happy. Mm. Uh, They want to enjoy their life. And ultimately that's, that's what most people are. And, uh, but I find in, in, in like in South Africa, there's, there's, uh, I mean, it's different. I don't experience the levels of poverty in South Africa that I do in the U S or sorry, the other way around. I don't experience that in the U S but you come here 
and you start to you start to live in a space where um, where there's more poverty around you. So coming from me in the U.S., I felt like, man, I can I can give to a person on the street, or I can bring them into my car, and I can drive them down to a place and talk with them, and uh, and just see what their life is about. But the wrestle when I'm here is that's millions of people. So how do, how how am I supposed to be a part of the kingdom when it doesn't feel like I can make any actionable difference? And so that's something I have to wrestle through in my mind. Yeah. Um, I I love it how there's a mixture of cultures here. We uh, we had Heritage Day was was yesterday. Mm. Sorry, Saturday. But on Sunday, you see a bunch of different cultures coming together, different clothing coming together, different languages coming together. And I'm like, that's really cool because that's not it's not really like that in the U.S. Mm. Um, there there's usually there's I think four or three. Uh, groups of people that make up the majority of the u.s yeah. so you come here to a place that's culturally rich and culturally diverse it's so cool to experience yeah there's uh, even even little things like load shedding like what in the world is that you know <laughs> you have to you have to get used to 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 that because that's that's just a part of a part of life now um what in the world is a taxi and how does it work and why do they drive so different mm. you know if the majority of people don't have cars how do they get around Sure. Um, so there's just different things you have to get used to. But yeah, I think it's amazing. I think it's very beautiful. You can drive anywhere outside of Johannesburg an hour away, and it's absolutely stunning what you yeah. see uh, just in the nature. Um, I think someone's told me that South Africa is the adventure capital of the world. Like, there's so much stuff to do here. Uh, oh. Nature reserves, to amusement parks, to beaches, to um, caves. Like There's just Lots of different things you can do in in such a such a small area. Uh, um, so it's it's an incredible place to explore and experience and learn and to uh, yeah. So I've I've definitely enjoyed my time here and uh, I will continue to. That's awesome. That is very cool. Yeah, I dude, shout out to you, man. I, I like that picture of hope that that uh, that South Africa can be. Uh, there's definitely. Yeah, there's definitely murmurs of that. There's obviously um, some pessimism around it and, and some question marks around, uh, you know, could it even be possible? Um, but shout out to you for seeing that because I think that is a very encouraging uh, picture um, and, and a very inspiring thing to be involved with, right? That, that as you do ministry, as you perceive people and help the students in, in Joburg, that it, you can help to, to be a little microcosm, a micro pocket of, of this potential a beacon of hope and light uh, that this that this country could be, uh, which is a country I love, man. I love I love being South African. Love living in South Africa. Um, I've had my fair time abroad, uh, but there's no place there's no place quite like home. And, and I'm sure everyone feels some some extent of that. But to hear to hear someone in your position who's coming down here to do ministry uh, have such hope and belief in in the people and the the country that you're in is is super encouraging. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're. It doesn't sound like you're like yeah, man. I'm. Just clocking it in. Can't wait to, to have to head back, you know. So uh, I appreciate right. you, uh, Jake. Appreciate your heart. And brother, appreciate just all that you've shared with us today. I, I think you've uh, you really shared your life very honestly and very vulnerably. It's quite, um, it's quite fun to, to see, you know, all the ebbs and the flows um, and, and all the different pieces of, of, of you that have, have come up. And I really think in a lot of ways will be very helpful as people hear your story and, and learn lessons from it. Uh, to be able to help them thrive in life as well as in their faith. So thank you so much for 
for jumping on the podcast. And uh, I love to give people uh, the final word. Uh, so what would you like to say to young people to help them thrive in life as well as in their faith? The final word, um, I would say God wants all people to be saved. That includes you, whoever this is, in whatever position in life uh, you are listening to this. God wants you to be saved. Uh, he loves you. He has a space in his kingdom for you. Uh, the Bible is there for you. So go read it. Go figure it out. Go ask questions. Know that God loves you and he wants to be with you. Um, and I believe you'll figure it out if you give an honest attempt. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening. For more thought-provoking conversations, subscribe to the Rima Klale Life and Faith Podcast. Please like, review, and share so that we can continue to help others thrive in their life as well as in their faith.